Dish from Waitrose is an SE Creative Studio production. Book a dream holiday in Western Australia and experience a new level of luxury with Qatar Airways. Discover premium wines in the Margaret River region, where towering forests meet turquoise oceans, and sunny Perth, where you'll enjoy not just fine wine, but fine dining too. But before your adventure begins, savour signature delicacies made with seasonal ingredients on the multiple award-winning Qatar Airways, where you'll experience the exceptional. Visit qatarairways.co.uk slash Perth for more information. Our podcast might contain the occasional mild swear word or adult theme. Hello and welcome to Dish from Waitrose. I'm Nick Grimshaw. And I'm Angela Hartnett. Hi, Angela Hartnett. Hello, Nicholas Grimshaw. Angela Hartnett has her glasses on and a pen. I know, I'm looking very official. Very official. I'm taking notes. You're right about to do the news. <laughs> very official. And um, did you like last week with Tim Minchin? Loved him. Uh, well, today we have one of, I guess, one of the most famous writers in the country mm. and one of the most celebrated writers. Uh, we have Catelyn Moran. Yes. Coming in to see us. Have you met Catelyn Moran before? Yes, Where we always do. She goes to Noble Rot a lot. Oh, yeah. Great restaurants in London. And um, they always do this dinner once a year called the Beaujolais Nouveau Dinner. And she was there and I was there. And we ended up there for many, many hours, oh, did shall you? we say. I bet you two together really gossiping on Lambs Condoit Street about life and uh-huh. all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've met her at Glastonbury before. Oh, yeah. I would a imagine. similar sort of interaction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, before we get her on, um, we have an email from Will. Hi, Nick. Hi, Angela. I'm a sommelier at the Pig in the South Downs. And I just want to know what is your favourite ever meal? to cook from Waitrose and what wine would you pair with it? Have you got a favourite one that we've done on the waitrose.com forward slash dish recipes website? Ooh. Ooh, crikey. Ooh, we've done so many. So We're near many. series four, Will. Oh. Uh, favourites. Um, I'll tell you Ooh. which one I think was a showstopper. Yes. And he wrote it for Waitrose is Jeremy Lee's one with all the lamb. Do you remember we did that for, oh, I say yeah. we in inverted commas. Yeah, I did that for um, Prue. That all those lamb wow, yeah. cutlets with yeah. all that lovely peas like and broad and beans. And yeah. broad beans and asparagus. That I thought was brilliant. The coronation episode. Yes, yes. exactly. Do you, did we do wine with that? Or did we did you we do, did a, do a wine cocktail? because Prue Leith's request was when we said, what do you want oh, to yeah. drink? She was like, whatever she wanted. And then she said, and keep the alcohol coming. Keep it coming, yeah. I thought and that was brilliant. Shout out to Prue. And we loved Stanley's uh, Spaghetti Alla Vongole. I love Stanley's Spaghetti Vongole. I really enjoyed uh, Will, who's got in touch. The gravy you made for Hugh Bonneville. Oh, yes, that was good, wasn't it? That yeah, gravy. Really good, yeah. Um, anyway, Will says, What wine would you pair it with? There you go. Well, you that's your job, Will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Will. you Come tell on. us, Will. Let us know. Um, Will says, love the podcast. And if you're ever in the South Downs area, anytime soon, come and say hi. Oh, that's nice. Lovely Will. Lovely Will. Do you know Will? Not met Will. No. Thanks, Will. We will. <laughs> we will, Will. We will. All right, let's welcome our guest in Angela. Today's guest, an extraordinary person, best-selling author and journalist who has been described uh, by others and by us as the Lady Gaga of feminism. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's the unstoppable Kali Moran, everybody. <laughs> Lady Gaga of feminism. Yeah. 
that. Is that a real you. life thing? Oh no, I love that. I think I probably made that up. And oh, then kind of like, okay. you, usually anything to do with my legend is something that I wrote and put out there hoping other people would pick up on it. I love so, it. Yeah. Changing your Wikipedia page uh, on a daily oh, basis. On the hourly. Yeah. Non-stop. Well, welcome to um, Dish. And normally we do a lunch or we do a dinner, but today we're doing, we're doing a breakfast. I know, bold, right? And you know what goes great with breakfast? <gasps> Why? Because <laughs> it was put on the menu... Um, like the wine and I was like wait I swear when I saw this the other day I was like I swear we're doing Gatlin at like nine o'clock in the morning mm, yeah and also it said in our notes that you weren't gonna drink no as Angela will be able to attest <laughs> me on wine is not good last time I saw Angela you would have to tell me what happened well I think we probably would have to tell each other I think that's fair to say oh, where, well where did you last oh, see well each other it was Beaujolais day at Noble Rock and all serve is wine at Noble Rock and I had to explain yeah. I can't drink wine. Like, as mm. with most women we cannot metabolise wine anymore. You lose the enzymes <laughs> in your stomach as you get older so what was previously like a bit of a bender but you will live the next day just turns into a three day <laughs> existential nightmare. So I was like I cannot drink wine, I cannot drink wine. They're like, but it's Beaujolais day, the new wines, you must try the new wines. Anyway I tried a lot of the wines. Yes. Had a very long, what I thought was fascinating conversation with Angela <laughs> and then suddenly went I need to go. A friend of mine is at an awards ceremony and I need to see if I can blag in. I bought a new coat that seemed like really posh and I was like, let me see if the power of this coat will allow me to blag yeah. into this yes. award ceremony down the road. And didn't you come back? Yes. That's right. Did the coat not get you in? No, coat worked. Oh, I, coat worked. Coat worked. I got in. They had to kind of make an announcement and take me in, in the middle of this award ceremony <laughs> to find my friends at a table. Then it's just a series of blurry snapshots. I remember the ground coming towards me. I remember three men in fluoro tabards kind of carrying me back outside. I remember the gravel impacting with my knee because there was still the scar there. A couple of weeks later. And then I came back to the you pub. You did come back. I remember because we were sitting in the street talking with Dan. Wow. What I mean, God, yeah. And I think I'd served another dinner in between you leaving and coming. And God, no Jesus. It was Beaujolais Day. I literally gave up drinking for six months after that. I woke up the next day. <laughs> Can't wait for this November is all I'm saying. Yeah. I welcome yeah. Beaujolais Day. Well, today, yeah, we were like, you you said you weren't going to drink. But now that we're here. But now it's it there. It does feel a little bit. I think you get me going. Right. I think I feel like, you know them people that you see and mm. I'm like, yeah, cancel tomorrow. It's the newsy yeah. twinkle in the eye. <laughs> yeah. Yes. How is everything with you? What is going on? How is life? Life is generally very good. We're doing, I'm a middle-aged woman, so I'm doing the classic kitchen extension at the moment. So every day, <laughs> wake up and there are just men in my house, men coming in. And then are you in out. charge of this? I am. Okay. And I'm a very good project manager. I I've watched imagine. so many episodes of Grand Designs that I know what all the kind of trip points are. Right. So I was very in advance ordering my glass and glazing. Yeah, you've got to do that. Yeah, yeah. was prepared for the second fix, had all my electrics in very early and stuff. I've been I've been absolutely on it. I, I pride myself. So how long is this going on for? Weeks? Oh, it's been years. Yeah, it finishes in four weeks and I can't wait to get my kitchen back because I love to cook oh, and good. I love gardening and I haven't had a garden and I haven't had a kitchen oh. so I feel quite rattled. I don't really know yeah. what to do with myself so all I can do now is change smoke and drink coffee. So I need, <laughs> I need my kitchen and my garden back. Do, yes. yeah. um, do you ever do a breakfast interview when you're you know, working as your journalist? Famous crew? people generally don't like to do early mornings, okay. do they? Unless you've got someone on an international junket. So uh -huh. yeah, no, it's usually all interviews seem to happen at 2.30 in a huge hotel. I mean, I did the radio at breakfast time. Right. And you're right, like people would be complaining. At the complaining early. or asleep. Yeah. Never good, like you'd go in the like green room to get yeah. them and they're fast asleep, which is not a great 
No. Star, is it star? I like doing interviews <laughs> yeah. now. Like, and I'm lucky. I'm in the point now where like, I only get to interview people I like, yeah. which is great. I don't mm. need to ask them tricky questions. And we get to go and do stuff. I'm not actually very good at interviewing people. I just like to watch them do things and right. then write sure. about it. So I interviewed Bob Mortimer recently. We went back to Middlesbrough's hometown. And he's a big fan of the football club, which I presume is called Middlesbrough. We, sort of, we were outside the stadium and he was like sort of sighing and going, oh my God, it's such a magic place. I love it. And it was 11.30 in the morning. And I was like, well, I reckon we could blag our way in, Bob. And he was like, no. And I was like, you're Bob Mortimer. We yeah. can definitely blag into this stadium. Uh-huh. Two minutes later, we're on the middle of the pitch taking pictures of each other. It was like, you can go anywhere if you're Bob Mortimer yeah, in Middlesbrough. Of course you can. Come on. Yeah. That must be a nice day at the office hanging out with Bob Mortimer. Oh, he was the, the best bit was when we were doing the photo shoot. So anyone who's seen Gone Fishing will know Bob likes his snacks. Yeah. Like he's just got pockets with snacks in. Everyone else has got fishing gear. He's just bringing a pork pie out of an inner pocket. <laughs> so we we're doing a photo shoot, and the conceit was we were both sitting in the street eating fish and chips. And so, and I'm just posing with my chip, touching the lip yeah. in that in that coy way. Bob's just hoffing them down. And the, the photographer just keeps going, can you just not chew for a minute, Bob? We just need to get one yeah. clear shot. It'd be like, right, got your squire. And then 30 seconds later, about, Bob, you need to stop eating the chips. And in the end, Bob was like, you just can't not eat chips, can you? Yeah, you, you can't, you can't. They're there. Fair enough, right? Exactly. You you yeah. Have you ever had anyone where you're like, what the hell am I going to write? Well, I, I made a difficultness for myself when I interviewed Paul McCartney. Uh-huh. So right. psychologically tricky situation for me to put myself in anyway, because I both want Paul McCartney to be my dad, mm. yeah. but I would also very much like him to be my husband. Right. Like, kind of like, so that. And you're a huge Beatles, so you huge yeah. Beatles yeah. fan. Exactly. Like, kind yeah. of like, just love him so much. And I was also on my period. I was very emotional. Uh-huh. And they take you through a whole experience before you meet Paul. So, like, first of all, they introduce you to his instruments. So they go, this is the acoustic he wrote yesterday on. Oh, and this wow. is the Hofner bass. Oh. And each time I'm introduced to a guitar, I'm crying. So I'm yeah. like, this is going to be <laughs> quite difficult when I interview Paul. And over the years, and you must have had the same thing, sort of like when you're meeting famous people, like, kind of like your response to how you deal with them changes. So when I first started interviewing famous people when I was 15, 16, my plan was, this is an interview. Yeah, sure. But we're also going to become friends and possibly we'll have sex. <laughs> That didn't work out. Literally never. That never worked out. So then I went into phase two, which was like what the famous people would like most is to be given their space. Normally when they walk in a room, everyone wants to talk to them. The thing I will do to show my respect is to leave them alone. Mm. So um, I was doing a radio show with John Peel, who I love. And uh, he was being so friendly and trying to chat to me between records. And I was just like, yeah, all right, John Peel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just leave it. Keep the distance. Just leave it, leave it. Just thinking in my head, the third time I meet John Peel, that's when we'll become friends. That's fine. (laughs) Then he died two months later. So I abandoned that plan. That doesn't work. And then these days, my plan is that the way you show your love for a famous person is that you come up with the cleverest question they've never been asked before. Because you always get asked the same 10 questions. Mm. So when I went to interview Paul McCartney, I'd spent weeks trying to come up with the greatest of all possible questions Mm. to ask Paul McCartney. And the question was this, and I thought it was a very clever question. Paul McCartney, Sir Paul, if you, heaven forfend, were involved in a massive car crash where your face got completely mashed off, would you rebuild your face as that of Sir Paul McCartney or would you have a completely different face? <laughs> and this is a really clever question because it's like you've been famous all your life. Yeah. Always recognised. Would you like yeah. to have anonymity yeah, now for the remaining 70 years of your life or are you still happy to be this famous? Would you opt back into it? Paul didn't see it as a clever question. <laughs> Paul saw it as a really horrible question. And I know that because he said, that's a really horrible question. <laughs> and then the interview finished three minutes later. So yeah, that didn't go so well. We're having an enforced kind of big breakfast now. Are you a big brekkie person or are you like a get up, go, have a black coffee? I have had to learn to be a breakfast person because my natural inclination is to immediately 
smoke a cigarette, uh-huh. drink some black coffee and start writing. And then I realised that basically I was just becoming very ill and hungry and fainting. <laughs> so I, just, why. I know, right? So I just had to give myself the conversation and just go and have some breakfast. Uh-huh. So I now make a massive smoothie that has all the nutrients I need oh, for a day in yeah. it. One of those big swampy green things. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Like, and do you sort of like bring it around the office all day or do you just get it down? I, I, I offer it to my children and yeah. they just go, no, thank you. And they're like, no, thanks. Yeah, yeah. no. I hate when people make it and then they've got it all day. Yeah. Like, get, oh, I don't want your new bullet on my desk and it basically looks like shrek swamp and just it's kind of like it. fermenting like, well, yeah because Ange doesn't do a breakfast either but i think that's so chefy and so fab don't you like i just have a black coffee and go okay Ange, what have we got going on here so we've got a potato rosti mm. boiled eggs a little bit of dill cream and some smoked mackerel I love a Rosti because basically to me, it's like someone took millions of chips and stuck them together yeah, in one yeah. kind of super chip. But Angela, are you supposed to say it Rosti? Because the Swedes say it Rosti and then I'm thinking I should say it like that. Yeah, probably. Go on, you say it like Rosti. You and actually, I'm a so boiled egg person. I love all eggs. The yeah. thing that you'll most commonly find in a handbag or rucksack that I own is um, one or two hard-boiled eggs. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. You've got protein. Delicious. Yeah. Um, Filling. Yeah, conversational starting point yeah. when you bring an egg out your bag. Yeah. Like, I'll be like, oh, you've got an egg in your handbag. Yeah. Is, that a, is that a bag it egg you have? So <laughs> <laughs> the old bag egg. Yeah. <laughs> Every so often I forget that I've got one in there and a couple of weeks later there will be a terrible smell and I'll look mm. in the back of my rucksack and the egg, the cardboard egg will have been crushed flat. Yes. And then all the loose bits of tobacco from my tobacco pouch will be stuck all over it. Nice. Come out looking a bit like the gruffalo had been run over. Just oh, come oh, I remember. <laughs> Oh, yeah, pop oh that in yeah, Thanks for that. From wow, Angela, oh, this wow. is gorgeous. This is so Pleasure. good. Mm. How do you make a rusty? Grate the potato, mm-hmm. season it with a little bit of salt, and then put it in like a tea towel and just squeeze out all the moisture. Oh, I like that. That feels sort of like and Victorian. Then, um, I was going to say, and is potato water useful for anything? Is it like aquafaba? Could you yeah. take that you potato water? Could actually. Potato water, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow would do something with it, the, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. new from Chanel, she potato would. water. Take potato water. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, actually, it's um, starch, isn't it? You would use it to yeah. iron. So well, you don't like ironing, so use that on your shirt. Okay, so you put grate the potato into a tea towel, squeeze the tea towel potato juice on your bedding. Keep it for either your bedding or something else. Then uh, season with a touch of salt and then melted butter. Then in a non-stick pan, or it doesn't need to be non-stick, just lay it flat and then cook it. If you want to try this recipe, by the way, waitrose.com forward slash dish recipes. Breakfast wine. Yes. When do we start? Because I think Angela's already started. Oh, yeah, I know. oh I better sit. That is a nice breakfast wine. That's a really mellow nice What is wine. the wine? Go I on. think that's the a wine. very good substitute for coffee or tea. I think so. Yeah. The wine we've gone for is an Alberino. <laughs> Um, which it says here, great match for mackerel and egg. There we go. So that's why we've gone for it. I I would be really sad if someone said I was a great match for mackerel and egg. I have to say. She's kind of of a great match for mackerel and egg. Yeah, she's making me think mackerel and egg. Yeah, mackerel and egg. It's kind of a diss. (laughs) (laughs) Having listened to your podcast many times, I always think that the best way to say this is beautiful, Angela, is when your mouth is full, because it really shows that you're enjoying it. Like, you couldn't wait until you'd swallowed it to tell you how amazing it is. I sound like a big fat liar on that podcast, because my mum's like, you can't like it every week. Really? I do! Can't believe your mum's dissing my food. She's it for a year, and then she's binged it all in a week. Oh, really? Yeah. Go on, though. Was the one that you didn't like, What if there was anything that Angela's ever cooked, what was the one where you were a bit like, going to have to have a word? There actually wasn't. Really? Even stuff like when we had Tim Minchin on, and we did 
which was a pasta salad. I just thought that sounds a bit like it's from Boots. Right, yeah. Me- <laughs> yeah. Meal deal. Pasta salad. Meal deal, right? Sounds depressing. Yeah. But it was delicious. I can't make them taste like Angela can. No. I think it's like singing. You just got it. Yeah. No, she's got it. She's got it. Tim Minchin and I were the proud creators one desperate night of the gin and riocca. Mm. We'd, we'd run out of tonic and we invented the gin and riocca. Mm, how'd that, that go was, down? Yeah, that was a pretty special night and a very, mm. very interesting week after. <laughs> Took about four days to process that. <laughs> I love those like late night house party ones yes. when you're doing your student mm. and you're having like, I don't know. Student? Yeah. Oh, God. Or <laughs> this this a best selling author and a you know, Tony Award winning <laughs> musical writer. So you do all the cooking then? So you know, there the is time? no cooking. We've got a microwave and a single tea fowl hot plate that we bought oh from Argos. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I'm just literally... I found that what I'm really excited about, whereas I can't cook, is just simply eating every single kind of tomato soup that is in shops. Mm. That's been my comfort thing. And did your family, because you're from a massive family, you've got yeah. eight siblings, Huge right? Family, so ten yes. of you yes. in a house. Did you always cook as family? Like, so I listened to you on Annie's podcast and you talked about how when uh, the food shop would happen you know, great at the start of the month and then there's 10 people. It would so it would run out. Yes, it would yeah. dwindle. So we were on benefits. There was not much money at all. So like kind of like the shopping list was absolutely tight and uh, a very recurrent image of getting to the checkout and having to go and put things back. Like yeah. that bit where you're sort of toting it yeah. up and you're like, we can't yeah. do this. But there were so many of us who would buy in bulk and then once we'd sort of come home with the food, everybody would form a chain and sort of like bring all the stuff into the house. And yeah, yeah for the first sort of two weeks, also my dad had managed to get a dodgy some kind of dodgy ID that allowed him to go to the wholesale market and buy fruit and veg wholesale. Mm, So we would buy huge boxes of apples and fruit and stuff. So for the first two days, we'd gorge on the fruit Mm. and the grapes. Then everyone would get terrible diarrhea. Um, (laughs) Just just walk around the house going, I have done too much too soon. Fermenting inside from all of the fruit. And then the last week before we'd sort of get the the next amount of money, there just would be nothing in the house. So we'd mainly just make chapatis out of flour and water. And then I realised that if you prodded them all over with a fork to make lots of indentations, you could... It's even more margarine on them. Yeah. Just pack as much fat into the holes as possible yeah. to try and make it taste of anything. And would you all sit down, 10 of you, and eat dinner of a ah, night? <laughs> we had, Nick, we had no table. Um, right. So what should have been the dining room had to be commandeered as a bedroom around mm. the time we had the fifth child. So um, no, we'd all just sit on the floor. Oh. Right, so Christmas dinner would just be like kind of like a huge roast dinner and then just everyone sitting on the floor watching The Sound of Music, which is still my preferred way to eat now, to be honest. Yeah. Hunched over a plate watching a musical. Kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can get one on if you yeah. want. We Absolutely. Can, yeah, I'm so yeah. ready. Duh, Whack a Vita on or something <laughs> to help the mat crawl down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you moved out really young, didn't you? Didn't you move out on your 18th birthday? Yes, because 18 is the age where you are first allowed to get an overdraft. So right. um, so on my 18th birthday, I went to Barclays Bank in Queen's Square, Wolverhampton, and got the maximum overdraft I could, and then moved down to London that day. My birthday present was my dad driving me down to London, even though, <laughs> although it was supposed to be my birthday present, but when he dropped me off, he was like, well, I'll need some corkage for the petrol. I was like, no. what? He was like, yeah, no, no, you, know, you know, I need like 20% to pay for the petrol. So, 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 so my birthday present was you driving me here. And then I lived in Camden and it was the height, so we were just sort of ramping into Britpop and I was uh-huh. literally one street away from the Good Mixer pub, which was yeah. the legendary Britpop pub. And as I was a feral child, he'd moved down to London with an Alsatian dog. I wasn't very good at doing things like paying bills. Yeah. So like very regularly the phone would be cut off and people would know to leave a message for me behind the bar of the Good Mixer. And it was, you know, I, I describe it to my kids now because like teenagers of this generation are really into Britpop in the 90s. Mm. They just think it was a magical time, which it was. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell them things like, yeah, you know, 
know, I'd be in the mixer every day and Graham from Blur would be drunk and he would bite me on the bum and they'd just be like, this sounds like an incredible time. Yeah. But like, yeah, it was. It really was. <laughs> really good time. Yeah. Really great times. Yeah. Do you remember feeling like scared about moving to London at that young age because now when I think of younger me I was 21 when I moved to London and just left and didn't know anyone did the same thing like got a credit card I actually got a credit card to go to someone's birthday party that I'd met on MySpace and then ended up living in London and like what you just went to a party and then never left no, I like went back for about two weeks and then they were like, you should live here. Yeah. And I was like, I would love to live in your spare room. Yeah. <laughs> looking back, that gives me like the fear. Well, how is it for you when you're looking back on like younger you? Do you have like the fear, embarrassment, ick, or are you proud or how do you feel? Well, like, I guess you must have you? had the same thing at the time. If where you're born feels wrong to you and you don't have much money and you know you've got to go Probably somewhere and do yeah. something and become someone else, you just don't have the option of being scared. You're just like, well, it's this. This is what I've got to do. Like kind of like mm. there's no other option. So it was just like, I had to go to London. That's where mm. the, the work was. And now I look back and I'm absolutely terrified. Like kind of yeah. like I would wake up in the morning and like, you know, there would be like a, a tramp who'd overdosed on heroin on my front doorstep, like kind of, and I was just walking around on my own. I mean, mainly I'm scared because I was so stupid. I went through a phase of deciding that I wanted to show how special and not like the other girls I was. So I stopped wearing shoes for six months. Oh my God. <laughs> Interesting take in, that. In yeah. Camden. Why? Why? In, in Camden, yeah, especially. I know. Oh. But then to me, the pavements in London were so beautiful compared to the ones in Wolverhampton. Yeah. They're quite yeah. rough and scratchy and kind sure. of like concretey. But in Camden, they've got these beautiful kind of grey slate, mm, yeah. old hundred year old paving stones. And I was just like, I bet they would feel sensual and special on my feet. <laughs> and I'll look like a really special and unusual girl. <laughs> yeah. And you did. Yeah, I really did. And Com- you really, really did. Coming home and picking the glass out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's youth though, isn't it? Yeah. You just feel like you can do anything. Oh, totally. And that's the beauty of it and in a way you should, you yeah. know. The part of your off, brain yeah. that should have all that fear in hasn't grown yet. You kind of need it. That You are a risk. I mean, I've seen all the research. I, I read yeah. a lot about brain development and stuff and you literally, the two things you don't have at that age is the part of your brain that really properly calculates risk and also the part that truly allows you to understand what other people are going through which is why you are quite self-obsessed and can be quite cruel Mm -hmm. you look back at some of the things you said and did when you were a teenager and you're like oh my god I would never think or do that now but you literally don't have that part of the brain And you were homeschooled? All the kids were? Well, theoretically. So there's two kinds of homeschoolers. There's the ones who are like, I come from an academic background myself and I don't think school maximises the education of our children. Like, you know, if we go for a walk in the woods, we could be teaching them about geography and geology and all this kind of stuff and everything should be educational. Uh, My parents weren't those kind of homeschoolers. (laughs) They were quite lazy people who, as they confessed, just didn't like getting up early every morning and making sure everybody had clean pants and socks for the school run. Right, it's a lot for eight. Uh, You know, we were not helping. Um, So (laughs) they just decided just take them out of school and so we literally never had a lesson we were just completely feral and we would just get ourselves up in the morning make our own breakfast and then we just watch musicals and cartoons all day so like you know classic Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck mm-hmm. classic musical starring Judy Garland but the one thing they did do was take us to the library every day right, okay. and so I literally read everything in the library so everything I know is from Daffy Duck classic musicals and Wolverhampton Wallstones Library <laughs> <laughs> so you self-taught to read and write in a sense well, I'd, we all stopped going in 1986, so I right. went till I was 11, so I'd been so taught. Got, yeah. But I'd, to be honest, I had taught myself to read before I went to school, mainly because there was one epic day where I just wanted my dad to... My dad was quite a grumpy man. Uh, and I was just like, play with me. And he was like, no, why don't you just bugger off and learn to read? And so I just went, oh, OK, well. OK, yeah, <laughs> well, well, actually. Yeah. And then I'll become a massive writer. Exactly. Talk to us about What About Men, your yes. eighth yes. 
spot. Yes, God, is it eight? Um, so yeah, well, I have spent the last ten or so years writing about women and girls. Uh, that's my thing. I do the feminisms, and. As anyone who is a feminist will tell you, if you're doing a public event and you're talking about the problems of women's and girls, the third question you'll be asked is, yeah, but what about men? Mm -hmm. And for the first five years, I was like, I don't care about men. (laughs) They have to sort themselves out. Like, it would be the ultimate irony of feminism if women had to sort out all of women's problems and then all of men's. And then men. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Someone like E.G. Gary Lineker will have to sort this out. It's not my (laughs) wheelhouse. But then the years have gone by and Gary Lineker has not sorted out the problems of men, God bless him. And then my teenage daughter started coming home from school and going, teenage boys who we thought would be sort of liberal, progressive, sort of feminist men have started saying things like, it's easier to be a woman than a man. Women are winning. Feminism is a cancer. Feminism has gone too far. You're all feminazis. And I was like, what? Like, kind of like, how is it that sort of like teenage boys, I I thought every generation was supposed to become more progressive. And uh, so I started looking into this complaint that I kept hearing from younger men all the time, which is that it's harder to be a man than a woman now. And I think they have a point, I have to say. We've done, you know, almost every other sort of like group has had amazing progress over the last Mm. 10 years you know campaigns by the lgbtqi community feminism people of color but we haven't really talked about the problems of men and if you look at the list boys are the ones who are most likely to be excluded from school they're the ones who are most likely to be put on medication for disruptive behavior they're the ones who are least likely to go on to further education they make it the majority of the homeless population the majority of the jail population suicide is still the main cause of death for men under the age of 50 like kind of suddenly you start looking at these stats and you're like yeah we haven't actually talked about men or boys for a while and then you see the rise of people like Andrew Tate Mm. very misogynist very right wing man and you go well yeah at the moment he's the only person who's going let's talk about men like kind of like you know you should be proud of being a man you should be proud of being a boy and obviously I don't like what he's saying I think what he's saying is very damaging not only to, to women but also to boys but it's like, well, someone needs to step up and start talking about the problems of men and boys. And looks like it's going to be a busy mum. <laughs> it's yeah. me. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll put I'll it on the to-do do list. It. Yeah, no one else but has done it. why do you think it. no one is? What, everyone's just dismissing it or no one actually believes there's a problem? What's your theory on Well, that? I think a lot of it is because we've spent so much time sort of like, you know, doing feminism quite rightly yeah. and, and talking about sort of the problems of women's stuff. We haven't realised how much time's passed. Like, yeah. you know, for people of our generation, things like Beyonce and talking about feminism and stuff yeah. seem like a very recent corrective to tend thousand years of patriarchy but if you're a teenage boy all you've known is a world where everyone's going the future is female we've got Mm. feminist clubs at school Mm. girls are really proudly talking about their vaginas and sort of buying vagina based merchandise on etsy so to them they've never known a time when men were on top and no one's talking about them so yeah we need to address these problems was there a moment for you where you were like right that's the next book i've got a talk about this yeah it was my daughter's coming home from school and mm. just going because I'd always said no I'm, on, I'm only about women and feminism and just suddenly realising oh god if boys are starting to become very radicalised into their misogyny then that is a problem for women mm. like half the problems that women face are let's face it troubled angry bigoted prejudiced boys and if you don't fix the boys you can't fix the girls yeah. like kind of that's half the problems they're going to have so I was like okay and also as well I just suddenly realised that when I wrote How to Be a Woman in 2010 Part of that was because even reading women's magazines, but everywhere you went, the tone that people were using to talk about women was so unkind and hateful. It was all just basically like kind of like buy designer handbag and sort your minge out. It was very kind of like it was not a (laughs) nice time to be a woman. And I wanted to write a book that was like, guys, we've got problems. Let's talk about this. Let's have fun. Let's be honest and truthful and fun. And I suddenly realized that's how we talk about men now. The only time I hear people talking about straight white men is going, oh, Toxic masculinity, Mm. ah, typical men, typical straight white men. And if you're a teenage boy growing up in a world where you only hear people just going, oh, men, 
you're going to yeah, get angry. Yeah. Course, you're sure, going to yeah. get angry because, and also, if you're being made to feel shame for how you were born, that's the classic definition of being in a bigoted environment. Like, you know, if you're born a straight white boy, you can't help it. And if you're being told that everything's your problem and you're going, but nothing, I didn't do anything. I'm 12. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Literally. I was just yeah. watching Paw Patrol five minutes ago. I, I have not made and a patriarchy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to write something that was kind and funny mm. yeah. and just do what we've been doing to women for the last 10 years and go, let's talk about some of your problems are silly. Like the fact that, that what I call the Love Island genes, the super tight genes. Mm. I can extrapolate a whole host of social problems off the back of those. <laughs> they are so And rightly tight. so. Yes. I mean, so aesthetically tight. troubling. Yeah. It looks like men have left the house wearing a pair of women's hundred denier tights. Yes. Like, kind of like, or medieval hose. You can see everything Horrible. that's in those jeans. Like, kind of like, there, you know, there are body parts pressed up against the seam of those jeans, like Han Solo's face frozen in carbonite. And then if you look on top of that, are the fact that, like, you know, slightly more seriously, that kind of like the rise of boys who were really unhappy about their body image. Mm. One in five boys said that they had had suicidal thoughts about their body not being strong enough or not being thin enough. And it's like, well, I know from having lived through the body con dress era as a woman that the tighter and more revealing your clothes are, the worse you will feel about yeah, yourself. You need to wear clothes that make you look good, not clothes that you need to make look good by mm. going to the gym for 15 hours a day. So we must burn the Love Island jeans. We must wear looser trousers. Men, it would make you happier. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, uh, a bit where, in the book where you talk about um, you're having lunch or dinner with a director and they talk about what men go through to get mm. those oh, bodies that we see in movies. That yeah. was really interesting. Because yeah, so. you do think like, oh, I could look like that, but yes. you actually can't. Well, if you look at like, so when I was growing up, like the sort of the big heroes of the screen were like Indiana Jones and Luke Skywalker yeah. and Han Solo. Han Solo looks like he's about to lean against the wall of a spaceship and go, I am knackered and have a fag. <laughs> and, and Luke Skywalker looks like a callow youth who would write slim volumes of poetry. <laughs> but now when you look at the superheroes that you see, like they recently brought out the new rebooted Star Wars merchandise and Luke Skywalker now is massively ripped. Like he's got huge biceps. Everywhere you look now, men's bodies have gone from being kind of very relatable, sort of like Indiana Jones type men who were fit for an archaeologist, but in no yeah. way an Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. to now everyone's ripped. And I had this lunch with a director of a massive superhero franchise. And he was saying, we always talk about how difficult it is for the women in movies. They all starve basically for six months. But the men, to get that level of muscle mass that you need to play a superhero, it's punishing. You're in the gym for five or six hours mm. a day. All you're doing is eating protein. On the day that you shoot, you have to become massively dehydrated because it shows the muscle definition more. Oh. God. Then they have to go and sit in ice baths because they're in so much pain from working out. Athletes are not doing mm -hmm. what actors in action movies mm -hmm. are having to do in order to look good on the screen. And then we show a 13 or 14 year old boy that movie, like in the same way that I just thought that I had to look like Marilyn Monroe when I was 12. You're like, well, that's what, well, that's what I should like. look like. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I have to be. Yeah. And it's impossible because I've tried. Right. <laughs> but, then the bad, but then the bad thing that boys have is that girls over the last 10 years, you cannot move for comedians, female comedians mm. who are doing stand-up about unrealistic body images yeah. and, you know, and really taking the mickey out of all this stuff. But as yet, we do not have male comedians going, this is an unrealistic body mm. image. Women aren't in a high tide of being filthily, taboo, bustingly honest mm. and reassuring to other women going, you don't need to listen to this stuff. This is the reality. We're all together, girls. Mm. Men have have not yet gone to that place where they will talk really honestly about very personal things, about yeah. their sex lives, about their bodies, about their insecurities. And, you know, that's the comedy I would really like to see next from men because yeah. men have run out of jokes otherwise. Like, kind of like, <laughs> yeah. You know, women have taken over comedy yeah. now. Like, men are running out of material and that's where you need to go, boys. Mm, go go yeah. into that stuff. Yeah, get in there. Mm. And I guess, like, men, I mean, 
you probably have those conversations, those deeper conversations with maybe their wives. Yes. Or maybe mm. their girlfriends. But I don't know if men like down the pub being like, I feel a bit sad inside. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm I broken. can't imagine like yeah. them conversations. No, instead they're going, do you see that disgraceful display last night? Oh, yeah. so I'll just think they can walk it in. Yeah. Well, that was the thing that I found when I, was, when I was doing the book, like kind of like just talking to men over and over again. And men feel that they can have deep mm. emotional conversations mm. where they talk about their anxieties and fears, mm. but maybe only once or twice in their lives when it reaches yeah. a crisis point. Whereas women are having those conversations... 10 minutes after women turn yeah. up, we're immediately talking yeah. about our operations and our children mm. and our mental health and all this stuff. It gets visceral and deep and supportive really, really quickly. Mm. Whereas men have to be right on the outermost edges of being able to cope mm. before they'll finally have those kind and of what conversations. Do you, think do you think it's like competitiveness or not think, showing weakness? Well, it or? starts at school. I mean, if you think, I mean, all the interviews that I did, they were just like, you know, you grow up and you're just told like, kind of like man up, don't yeah. cry, mm -hmm. don't be. Mm. And like, the, so the only two emotions, and you can observe this in boys, like when you're a three or four year old boy, they will still be whimsical they'll be dressing up they'll be crying they'll talk about their favourite things and things they love by the time they're seven or eight the only emotions that you get them to display usually are either anger mm. or banter Mm -hmm. And I love a bit of banter. I will happily get on the banter bus to Banterbury and become banter claws. <laughs> like, but it can't be your only conversational sure. mode. Uh -huh. It's like wearing clown shoes all the time. Okay, Catelyn, you have been writing for many a year and interacted with many a person and have many a great tale. Um, <laughs> so basically, we have selected some of your articles throughout the years. All you've got to do is delve into the oven mix, the oven the rubbery take hole. out the title, yeah. and pull out a topic and just tell us what you remember about writing Theme about parks. Oh, my God. So I, I want a million other different careers, but one of them is I want to become a theme park planner. I want there <laughs> to be theme parks for different decades. Oh, yeah. Like, so you could go... Go to like 1986 land or like 1952 oh, yeah. land and not only have the buildings there and you'd have the radio turned to whatever was coming out of the mm. radio that day so you can actually remember what it was like because mm. I think when we're having these conversations about kind of like society and progress and culture and what's problematic and stuff the problem is that we don't remember what things what used to be normal when younger people are berating older people for kind of being out of date or out of touch and stuff, it's like, you've got to know what was normal in our day. This is yeah. the progress that we've made. And it's really hard to remember what you thought was normal in 1992 is completely mm. unacceptable now. So walking around, hearing people talking as they would have then, making the same jokes and quips and stuff and actually being able to go, oh God, now if we don't understand the past and the history mm. and where we've come from as people, then you cannot understand the present and you cannot improve the future so and mainly I want them to be in 1992 land so I can walk around there and all the clothes that I've kept from 1992 <laughs> listening to the radio from 1992 reliving my youth going yeah it's amazing got a good mixer yeah right <laughs> that would be fun that would be very very fun here we got next Wind turbines. Wind turbines. I don't understand. I feel very passionate about wind turbines, as you could probably tell. Yeah. The voice has gone up a notch. But like, so many people are angry about them and go, well, they're ugly, they despoil the oh, countryside. I love them. They're sexy, right? I think they look yeah. gorgeous. I think they look really modern. Genuinely, <laughs> when you drive through Scotland and you see them, I think they look incredible. Yeah, I mean, as a, if they were just like an art installation, yeah. you'd, be like, wow, you'd be like, wow, that's yeah. amazing. But nice they, one, Anthony Gormley. Yeah. 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 Like, it is, like, right? Wow, yeah. It's a rotating angel of the north. Yeah. This works really well. Well. But not only do they look absolutely beautiful and are a staggering feat of engineering, but they give us freedom. Like yeah. they give us freedom from kind of like, you know, petrochemical wars and in sort of into yeah. you know, political machinations across the world and stuff. We don't have to like, you know, suck up to repressive regimes in order to get oil if we've got wind turbines. Yeah. And they mean that our country won't be filthy, dirty and disgusting and full of dead fish and sad people. It's like they're 
all round perfect. You can't yeah. tell me a bad thing about a turbine. Yeah. And I genuinely find them attractive. And me and my girlfriends have a lot of conversations about how, maybe because there aren't that many good men around at the moment, um, <laughs> inanimate <laughs> objects that we would marry if we had to. My, 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 Winter. Yeah. yeah. My single yeah. girlfriends who've been on Bumble and they're just going, yeah, there's not much out there at the moment. So I'm like, okay, well, if you could marry a building, what would it be? And she's like, oh, St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm. It's got really broad shoulders. It looks Ooh, like it knows yeah. what it's yeah. doing. What like, would kind you of do? Like, yeah. What would you do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the gherkin? Yeah. No, I think... <laughs> good for one night. Yeah. I think long-term the gherkin's a bit of a trick. I wouldn't... I, I don't think... No, I don't think the chat's... Yeah, I don't think the chat's no, good with the gherkin. No. Shall we do that end of the show question? This is for the Waitrose goodie bag. I love Waitrose. When I moved to London and I discovered Waitrose for the first time, it was the happiest moment of my life. The beautiful marble floors, it was literally like walking around the Parthenon or something. They... <laughs> They do not have beautiful supermarkets in Wolverhampton, yeah. I can assure you. Um, now, you have interviewed people for many years. You have many great stories. Been in a sex club with um, Lady Gaga. Yes. Had an argument with Keith Richards about whether or not he wears wigs. Yes. Uh, had Jamie Oliver in your kitchen at 8am making toasties, swapped clothes with Nigella Lawson. Smoked marijuana in a fairground with the Beach Boys. No, not the Beach Boys, the Beastie Boys. Oh, the Beastie Boys. <laughs> I was going to say the Beach Boys. I was like, wow, the no, Beastie Brian, Boys. <gasps> Brian's had enough. Yeah, Brian. Brian needs not to touch Brian. another bifter again. Yeah, right? done. What do I do with this? Oh, yeah, so open yeah. the envelope and then just see what it is. And then, no, so you have a question in there that is for you. And if you choose to answer it, yeah. you win the Waitrose goodie bag. Tell us a celebrity story you've never spoken about. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, you, and do you know what? Because I think that's hard. No. You can tell us the story oh, no, and not tell us the celebrity if you want. So you, you can just be you like... Probably, okay, you, you can have a you can have a clean one or you can have a dirty one that I can really skirt around the issues on. What should we go, dirty skirty? Yeah. Dirty skirty, okay. Yeah, dirty skirty. So... Now, we did ask for the dirty skirty version, but it actually was too dirty to broadcast. Here are the bits that we could play. I went to interview a band, I won't say who it is. Band members, it was a very posh hotel, jumped up onto the bar and pulled down the chandeliers, uh, pulled down the, the jewels off the chandeliers and gave them to me and draped them on me as jewellery. <laughs> and so they brought over um, some cheese and tomato sandwiches. This is like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm trying not to say, I'm, I'm getting around my words. Yeah, yeah. Whole lines. Whole lines? Whole lines. There's a pop star passed out on my floor with no clothes on. Can you just have him removed? <laughs> we'll pause there, because the next bit you won't be able to broadcast. Mm -hmm. Then I went and had a bath. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Yeah. amazing. I told you won the goodie bag. If you need a cleaner one, there's a very short one about Benedict Cumberbatch that I can Okay, do. yeah, come okay. on. Yeah, I love it. just got thumbs up. Okay, yeah. Cool. okay. Yeah, um, so... About five or six years ago now, at the height of Sherlock Mania, I went to Glastonbury with Benedict Cumberbatch. He knew that I was going down and I had like a caravan. He was like, can I come? I was like, that would be delightful. That would be amazing. <laughs> and we had a fine old time and I'll gloss over all of that. But what was really interesting is when we walked out to go into the main arena out of the VIP bit, I was like, what is going to happen to you when you go out there? Like you are literally the most famous man in the world at the moment. Like, are, are you not scared of going out? And he was like, just watch, just watch. And as we stepped from the VIP area into the main arena, he just turned off Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm. This is where you like realize that actors are like amazing. He just literally turned off Benedict Cumberbatch. We walked around the whole place for the whole weekend. He wasn't wearing a disguise. He was just wearing really normal clothes. And at one point, a girl came over and went, are you Catelyn Moran? Can I get my picture taken with you? And I went, yeah, of course, put my arm around her. And she handed her phone to Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> take our picture and looking at her I knew she would have been a Sherlock fan you know yeah, yeah, every yeah. girl was at that point and I was like 
whoa, if I told you who's taking this yeah, picture, Nate, yeah. you would go bananas. Wow. But that's true acting when you see someone mm, do that. Turn it off. Turned it off for the whole it. weekend. Turn the face off. Yeah. I love that face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Callan, that was so fun. Thank yeah. you. I love breakfast wine with you. Yeah. Can we have another bottle? I'm not <laughs> really yes. innocent. Like, let's let's the keep rest. going, right? Keep on going. You wear yeah. oven mitts as a scarf, yes. so it's a pretty good day. A <laughs> uh, round of applause for Callan around, everybody. <laughs> That was really fun. Did we ask any questions? I don't think no. so, no. But I always think it's a failure if anyone has to ask me a question. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, let's true. just keep going. Next week on Dish, joining us for a delicious meal cooked by Angela Hartner, uh, we have Clara Ampho. So just say, me and Angela coming around for tea, what would you do? What's like you go to? Mm. Which you were like, I can't mess this up. Salmon fillet, loads of lemon, big old salad, obsessive rocket, right. arugula for the Americans. <laughs> um, I don't like the sound of arugula. I don't like the I sound think of rocket. It sounds medical. Exactly, rocket yeah. packs a punch. Like, yeah, yeah, rocket. <laughs> if you would like to recreate today's dish for your friends or family, head to waitrose.com forward slash dish recipes. That is where you'll find all the meals we've ever made on the podcast follow dish wherever you get your podcast so you'll get it delivered to your device every week and if you enjoy it please leave us a great review if you don't just listen to something else <laughs> we can't all have a michelin star chef in the kitchen but you can get some michelin star advice email your questions for angela wherever they are to dish at waitrose.co.uk waitrose food to feel good about